Welcome to Shofar Cape Town South Sermon Podcast. We trust that today's message will edify and strengthen your faith. There we go. Good morning, everybody. Um, I'd just like to thank Etienne and Reino in his absence for the opportunity to, to visit you this morning and also to, to share the Word of God and what God is doing in the world today. It's a, it really is a privilege and it's wonderful to meet new brothers and sisters in Christ. So uh, I really hope and pray that uh, the Lord will also administer to your hearts to where you are standing with Him currently. Friends, maybe shortly about myself. I'm Gustav. My wife is here. I think she's in the mother's room, uh, Hanli. And then also our two boys, Ruald and Sion. And uh, we are originally from Kimberley. Uh, we've been in Cape Town. I say, huh? <laughs> and I've been in Cape Town now since January 2016. And uh, both myself and Hanley work at In Context. And um, I've been serving there for over eight years now. So it's um, been quite a process, predominantly in the area of project management. Maybe just something quickly about our ministry. It's a media, media missions ministry. So our focus is to look at the news, what we see today, international news, and say, but how is what we are seeing on the television daily, what we read in the newspapers, what we hear on the radio, how is that impacting the kingdom of God? What impact does it have on the church? What outflows does it have into missions? If we say God is in control and he is omnipresent, and he is working towards an end goal of us seeing Jesus' return. He is intimately involved in the world today. And if that is true, he's involved in those events that we are seeing on international news. But we need to go and look what it is. Because the media is predominantly a secular institution. And we get fed the news with a secular point of view. But for us as Christians, things look different. When we look at a presidential election in the USA... Never mind who will win the election, either party will have an impact within the kingdom. If we look at a war in Syria, what does that mean for the church in Syria? What does it mean for missions in the Middle East? What impact does it have in the kingdom? If there is a cyclone in Mozambique, how does it impact the church and what opportunities does it give the church to show Christ's love? So this is what we do as a ministry, to see what is happening in the world today, how does it impact the kingdom of God, and how can we be involved in what he is doing around the world right now. So through this, we do various ways of proclaiming this information and giving it out through email and website and having an opportunity to share with you this morning, for instance. And um, I'm going to share a little bit about that with you, focusing on just one country predominantly and what we see happening there but it still has a kingdom impact. So before I go into the word, let us just pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can be gathered here this morning, Lord, as millions of believers are also gathering, Lord, around the earth, Lord, just seeking your face, Lord, proclaiming your glory, Lord, worshiping you, Lord, and saying, here I am, Lord. Use me within your kingdom, Lord, to the glory of your name. Lord, I pray that as I share this morning, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will come and minister to each and every individual, Lord. You know where you stand with every individual here today within your personal relationship with that individual, Lord. And may you come and minister to everyone, Lord. May you come and plant something of your vision and something of your kingdom in every individual's heart, Lord. 
we know for each individual it can be something different, Lord. But we come and ask you, Lord, come and minister to us. We pray it in your name of Jesus Christ alone. Amen. Okay, friends, the reason I have my laptop here is so that uh, I can know what's behind me. So um, I'm going to jump to the slide number one, uh, which is my scripture reading for this morning. Matthew 28, uh, verse 16 to 20. Okay, and um, I'm just going to read through it. It's a very um, common, um, regularly used scripture, specifically when it comes to missions. Um, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, And of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, friends, you will see there I underlined that last sentence. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, this is what I would like to share on this morning with you. Um, Within that uh, four verses, you can literally take each and every sentence and do probably a week seminars on just what's contained within one sentence and what I want to focus on and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age and that should be encouraging to us the great commission as these few verses are known as for us as the church to take the gospel to the ends of the earth so every nation tribe and tongue may experience the forgiveness and relationship that there is to find in Christ, that we are not doing it alone. He is with us. It's not for us to go and sit in rooms and draw up plans of how we are going to do this. He is doing it with us. And if He is doing it with us, then we should be following His plans, not try to make our own. So for this morning, I would like, I can speak about many nations that we study to see what God is doing within these nations to fulfill his kingdom purposes. But for this morning, I chose to speak about Egypt. And uh, the next slide will give Egypt. And uh, you can run through that. It's going to be a few statistics. Um, There's uh, where Egypt is located. And then the last one, that's the last one, 47%. Okay. So, friends, if we look at Egypt, also an African nation on the opposite side of the continent from where we are sitting this morning, and in so many ways, total opposites. Um, Being located within the MENA area, Middle East, North Africa, it's a predominantly Muslim country. As you can see there, 87% of the 92 million people in Egypt profess Islam as their religion that they follow. But then there is a church. There's brothers and sisters, and it's roughly between 10 to 12 million Christians within the Egyptian population eh? that is light and salt and a testimony within the majority Islam population. So the majority of those Christians will be Coptic Christians. Their services will... Coptic, okay, the word Coptic actually means Egyptian. but So it's the Egyptian church, but it's an Orthodox church. So... Their form of service will look a lot more like a Catholic service. Um, it's an Orthodox church, and pr- roughly 1% of the Christians within Egypt will be evangelical Christians. Now, the Apostle Mark was the first missionary to take the gospel to Egypt. 
So Egypt has known Christianity and have been Christian for over 2,000 years. And then in the late 600s, Islam came to rise, very quickly um, infiltrated Egypt as the rest of North Africa, and it became an Islamic church. But they did not eradicate the church. The remnant remained, and is still there until this day. So due to the dominance of Islam within this country, it's a church that knows persecution. I would believe that most of us are known of the persecution that Christians face in many countries around the world today, but specifically in Islamic countries. So the church in Egypt is a, it's a church that is well known to persecution. And I want to take you back to April 2017. What we do when we go and visit countries, we deliberately meet with church leaders and mission leaders. And we ask them from your perspective here on ground level, what is God doing in your country? Because we can sit on the outside, but we need to work with what the media feeds us. But we know that the media cannot tell us everything. So we need to come to the church leaders who have spiritual insight to tell us what is God doing in your country. And that's something that we as believers must also think of. If somebody will come to South Africa and ask you, you're a Christian in South Africa, what is God doing in your country today? From a spiritual perspective, what are you going to respond so this is what we do. And in April 2017, specifically, we did one of these research trips to Egypt. And it was amazing that by far, probably up to 90% of the church leaders who we met with all referred back to one incident. And uh, that's the next slide. And this is an incident that happened in February 2015 in Libya. Maybe some of you will remember this. 21 Egyptian contract workers working in Libya was captured by ISIS and were told, you can either denounce your faith, give up your faith in Christ and become Muslim, or we kill you. And these 21, of whom most of them were Coptic believers, said, we will not give up Jesus, we will not give up our faith, and we will be faithful unto death. And then ISIS came and they made this video where... The ISIS men dressed in black walked on the beach in Libya with the 21 believers dressed in the orange overalls, let them kneel down, and then made this video of beheading them. And the church leaders in Egypt said, this is an incident that had a major impact spiritually within the church of Egypt. And then the one which he said, ISIS did the world and did the church in the Middle East a favor by showing this video, because in one instance... The world could see the difference between evil and love. You had these big men dressed in black, proclaiming hatred towards all Christians around the earth, and telling them that all Christians should leave the Middle East, or else this will also happen to you. And then you had the 21 believers, not resisting, not saying anything, at peace, giving their lives and entering eternity with Jesus. And they said this video had a ripple effect throughout Egypt and the Middle East. They said Christians know about persecution. They would hear that a Christian has been martyred. They would hear that there was a bomb in a church. But now it was on a video and with today's technology, it went viral. And the Christians could not only hear about the acts of persecution, but they saw it themselves. And then the one leader would say, when he spoke to Western believers, he said that watch this video and receive this video, he said most of them would not watch it to the end. Most of them that he spoke to 
said they would stop the video the moment the beheadings would start. And I could confess, I'm one of them. When, when I received this video, I watched it until the point where the beheadings began. And then I said, I cannot watch this. And I, I also switched it off. But he said for Christians in Egypt and the larger MENA area, they watched it to the end. And then they would watch it over and over and over again. And he said the reason why they watched it is they said they tried to focus on the men's lips. They wanted to try and see what these men were praying when this was happening to them. Because they said this video encouraged Christians within Egypt and the Middle East to say, but am I willing to do that within my faith? Huh? Will I be able to do it? I need to take these men as an example so that if my day should come in those circumstances, that I would be willing and able to do it as well. And they tried to see what these men were praying. And they said what happened because of the example that these men gave and how it spread through the internet is that it made Christians wanting to live better lives. It turned nominal Christians into saying, but that is authentic Christianity. I want to be able to stand in a relationship with Christ and be able to kneel and be beheaded for my faith in Christ and not be willing to give it up. And they said this is a ripple effect within the church when it came to forgiveness. When acts of persecution came, the church started to forgive because they said this is, if, if we want to be authentic in our Christian faith, we do what the scripture says, then forgiveness is the outflow of this. Forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us as we pray in, um, in the prayer. And they said this had a ripple effect throughout the country. And a week before we landed within Egypt for this research trip, there was once again a major incident of persecution. And um, that will be my next, um, that's a video, eh? if we can maybe draw that in. I think it was giving problems in the beginning. There we go. Is there sound? Two Coptic churches in northern Egypt bombed on Palm Sunday. At least 44 people have been killed and some 100 wounded. Tonight, ISIS is claiming responsibility for the attack. It's the most significant attack on the Christian minority in that area in quite some time. The first blast happened at St. George's Church in the Nile Delta, that is uh, near the city of Tanta. Officials say at least 27 people were killed and 78 are wounded. A couple hours later, a suicide bomber charged St. Mark's Cathedral in the coastal city of Alexandria. The Interior Ministry says that 16 people were killed and 41 were wounded there. The blasts come at the start of Holy Week leading up to Easter. Just maybe two pictures of what the churches looked inside. Some of the churches, um, get those slides up there now. Well, there's and, uh, the next one. And the next one, please. Um, in the end, uh, 49 people were killed in these two combined bombings. This was on Palm Sunday. Um, I think it was April the 9th, 2017. This happened a week before we arrived and started this research trip of ours. And when we were there, the church's leaders told us, together with claiming responsibility, ISIS then said, this will happen to all Christians within Egypt. You will never know if your church will be next and when we will come to your church. The next church service was Good Friday on Easter weekend. And all the people were thinking, what's the church in Egypt going to do? 
How are they going to respond, not knowing, since it is Easter, whether ISIS will specifically make use of this weekend, five days before doing these two attacks, and that your church might be next. And then when we were there, we started receiving the pictures. And you can just go to the next one. This is just one I put into the slideshow. The churches throughout Egypt overflowed. People who never went to church went to church on that Friday. Making a proclamation and saying, we are here to stay. You cannot threaten us with bombs. You cannot expel us from this country. We are here to stay. And we will not take up the arms that you are fighting with. We will fight with love. We will fight with peace. We will fight with forgiveness. And the one pastor we spoke to said, this is key within the whole process of the church in Egypt. You can jump to the next one. And that's Pastor Samech. And uh, he said these words. He said, the two bomb blasts were answers to our prayers. We've been seeking the Lord for 30 years, but the watch was not moving. We were waiting for a time such as this. This is a glorious time. It's a time for shaking and awakening. The spirit of fear has left us, and people are running to the Lord. It's a wonderful thing when you find a key that unlocks a locked door. Forgiveness is that key. Pastor Samech went on and he said, We've been seeking as a church so long for open doors to reach our Muslim neighbors. We know it's why we are here, so that they may also experience Christ. And he said, through forgiving the Muslims, the extremists who did these things, we can see that the nominal Muslims are opening their hearts because it's something that they are not familiar with within their Islamic faith. Because for them, it would be about revenge. For how can I repay what was done to me? But all of a sudden, you have Christians standing up and saying, but we forgive you, and we will not run away. We will stay. And for the nominal Muslims, this is quite a reflection on themselves. Is this the type of religion I want to be associated with, the extremist face of Islam? Or these Christians that forgive? And probably the most unique incident of forgiveness played off on national television within Egypt during this week after the bombs. And that's my next video. Please read the words at the bottom. It will be in English. Uh, there's also audio, but... Um, can we... <laughs> وراح بطلب من ربنا ان يعني يسامحهم ويحاولوا يفكروا شويه يفكروا يفكروا صدقيني لان هم لو فكروا احنا ما بنعملهمش اي حاجه صدقيني ما بنعملهمش حاجه قولهم فكروا تاني فكروا ان انتوا بتعملوه ده صح ولا غلط وربنا يسامحكم واحنا مسامحينكم بامانه بقولها مسامحينكم وصدقيني لان انتوا حطيتوا لي ابو ولادي في مكان ما كنتش اتمنى العمر كله صدقيني بامانه يعني انا عمري انا بفتخر بيه وبتمنى اكون انا جنبه صدقيني يا بنتي واشكرك يا حبيبتي اقباط مصر مصنوعين من فولاذ اقباط مصر مئات السنين بيتحملوا كوارث ومصايب كتيرة القبط المصري يعشق تراب بلده 
القبط المصري يتحمل كل شيء عشان وطنه وايه كميه التسامح اللي عندكم دي لو اعدائكم يعرفوا قد ايه انتم متسامحين بجد ما كانش حد يصدق ده انا لو ابويا والله ما اقول كده ابدا الناس دي عندها كميه تسامح عن حق عن عقيده دول بني ادمين والله مصنوعين من ماده ثانيه الله يرحمه عم نسيم بطل وشهيد و... 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 ومثل اعلى للي قاعد كل واحد في البلد دي يقول لك هي البلد دي ايه والبلد دي ماشيه ازاي بلد دي ماشيه بالصبر بالجلد friends on national television in a country with 87% muslims a muslim anchor man witnesses live feed as our christian woman is proclaiming forgiveness towards the isis men who just took her husband from her in one of these bombings and he's speechless he's supposed to start speaking but he can't <laughs> and then he starts speaking a muslim man in a muslim country to a muslim audience and he says how great are these egyptian christians what amount of forgiveness do they have they are made from a different substance he says i will never be able to say this if this was my husband or my wife or my father and friends it took one act of a believer actually doing what we say and pray we should do speaking forgiveness and you get an audience to where it doesn't matter who you are as a christian preacher within egypt you will not get an audience to proclaim christ like that only god can do that but it took obedience of one christian lady who's not even in a position of prominence but by simply obeying what we are told in scripture nominal muslims see but within christians they are made of a different substance there's a different spirit and i think the most important thing for us to remember is if forgiveness is a key to lost people's hearts we cannot forgive until we have been harmed only once we have been caused harm can we receive the key to offer forgiveness to somebody and show them a different spirit than what the world tells us to to show people but friends in the same way as we see the church moving in the middle east moving in egypt by simply doing what scripture says we also see that although god opened these doors and he allows bombings to happen so that a harvest might come in he's also at work personally within people's hearts that's my next slide i don't know how it's going to come out there this picture was taken back in 2011 the man sitting next to me he saw jesus in a vision first time i encountered somebody who said he actually saw jesus this was remarkable to me my journey in missions was still very fresh and very young and it was very remarkable for me to meet this man he was a palm tree climber 
chopping dates off at the top of the palm trees. So, unschooled, uneducated man. And one day as he climbed up the tree with his machete, chopping off the dates, he actually accidentally hit his hand. And uh, his hand was so badly damaged that he couldn't use it anymore. And so thus he couldn't climb the palm trees anymore. Because he's so poor, poor, he couldn't go to the doctor, to the hospital. So now he can't do anything anymore. He had to become a beggar. And then a couple of months after begging on the street, which is an extremely shameful thing within your Islamic culture, he gets back home one evening and a simple two-room house between Cairo and Alexandria and his family is standing outside the house. And this is quite strange for this time of evening. And he said, why are you outside? And they said, but there is somebody in the house that came into the house through the roof. And he said he walked in as the man of the house. He walked into the house. Now, I don't know how well you know Islam, but Jesus is within the Quran. He's known as Isa. So they know of Jesus. They just have a different concept of who he is than we as Christians do. So he said as he moved into his house, Jesus was standing in front of him. And as we read in scripture, as with most men, he just fell down. And he just couldn't, how can I say, stand in front of the sight of this man that he knew was Jesus instantly. And he said the light left, and when he looked, his hand was healed, miraculously. And he could climb palm trees again, and he could feed his family again. And when I first heard this, I looked at this man and I said, in the terms of the world, a nobody, a Muslim beggar in a rural area of Egypt. And Jesus came to him. I don't know to who else Jesus has come, but this man was worthy of him. And for myself, I had a reflection, how do I treat a beggar on the street? You know, and I was fascinated by this man's story. But then as my ministry continued within the Middle East, testimonies of people seeing Jesus in visions and dreams just multiplied. Hundreds, by now thousands, of people that encountered Jesus in dreams and in visions. And the most amazing thing of this is that Jesus come and meets the person within his dream or vision where that person is. He speaks to him in a certain way that that person will know. But growing up in a Muslim country, knowing the persecution that might follow, because taking into account within a Muslim country, the persecution experienced by Muslim background believers is much worse than to Christians that are born Christian and grows up as Christian. Because you see, for an extremist family or a, con a conservative family, if one of your family members become a Christian, it's an extremely big shame upon your family. And you need to get honor back upon your family. And the biggest way of getting honor back is by killing that family member that has brought shame upon your family by becoming a Christian. So for people to convert to Christianity is not the same as it would be in a South African context. It takes a whole different consideration of the price you might pay even if you are not killed, even if your family is not so conservative that you are killed, you will automatically be expelled from the family. You will no longer have the security and the financial backing of your family. You will lose your work and you will have to find a new family. Hopefully, this Christian family that you are now a part of. 
So hearing many and many of these visions and dreams of people. Um, this year in April, we, I was at a conference in Germany. And this pastor, Pastor Samech, who I just showed you now, he was also at this. And he said, when their church started that prayer initiative 30 years ago, he said, when they asked for open doors to reach their Muslim neighbors because they were struggling to make headway, yeah, to see fruit of their labor, one of the things that they said was to take the Lord at the scripture that Jesus is with us. This is not our work alone. And they started praying for people by name that Jesus will reveal himself to them in dreams and visions. Just to show them that he is real. He is the truth, the light, and the way. And then a process of discipleship making can start through the believers. Because you see, a person doesn't convert to Christianity simply because he saw Jesus in a dream and vision. Not with his background that he has had. Only then he starts seeking the truth because he knows there's something there that he needs to pursue. Then he starts going to churches. Then he starts trying to find Christians that is open to walk a road of discipleship making with him. Then he tries to get a Bible. And at this conference, Pastor Samech also shared one recent testimony that he just experienced through his same son. You see, with the amount of refugees that fled the Iraq and Syria wars, a lot of them traveled to Europe. This you would have seen once again in international news. The millions of refugees that entered Europe, specifically in 2014, 15, 2016, was the biggest wave. So they started partnering with churches in Europe, sending congregation members to churches in Europe just to be translators to these refugees so that the church can reach out to these refugees that has been so disillusioned by their faith back in their home countries that was the cause for them to flee to these predominantly Christian nations. And he said his son was there on a few months, only being a translator, reaching out to the refugees, and he was getting some of the people that he's been walking a road of discipleship with to come to a Bible study group. And as he approached the one man that he has been walking quite a road with, he said, saw there was another man with him that he did not know at all. So he asked the man with whom he is busy walking a road of discipleship, are you ready to come to our meeting? And uh, then he said, yes. And then this other man, who was a complete stranger, said, but I want to come with to your meeting. And all of a sudden, they need to make a decision. If you bring a person into a Bible study meeting that has no background of discipleship making into Christ, you don't know how he's going to react within such a meeting. Is he going to go to the extremist, fundamentalist Muslims within the community and go and tell what's happening and woo of the people who you think are still Muslim, are actually busy converting to Christianity. But they made a call and they said, okay, let's bring this man with. And during the first time of prayer in this discipleship meeting, this complete stranger started praying passionately. And everybody to a point that they became quiet because they didn't really know this man. And then when he stopped, they looked at him and they said, we, we didn't know you're a believer. We didn't, you know, we thought you were still just Muslim. And he said, praying? I wasn't praying. He said, I was speaking to Jesus. He was standing right in front of me. Didn't you see him? And nobody saw him. And he said, I was in conversation with Isa, with Jesus. And he said, I know now that Christ is the truth. I've been living a lie my entire life, but I'm in big trouble now. He said, I may be a nominal believer, but my wife is an extremist. She's the type of woman that will run into a church with a bomb around her waist. To kill Christians. He says, I cannot go home now this evening 
because of what I have just saw and, and experienced. He said, you need to pray with me. You need to pray with me for my wife that she will see what I have just seen. And everybody went into prayer. And then an hour later, his phone rang. And it was his wife. And she told him, you are not coming home this evening unless you come to, come to Christ. Christ just appeared to me. And I know now that he's the truth and the way of the life. And we are becoming Christians or you're not coming home this evening. Huh? Friends, if you speak to missionaries, church leaders, pastors within the Middle East and North Africa, within predominantly Muslim countries, they will all be able to tell you testimonies like this. How the Lord is opening the doors in Muslims' hearts for people to come and stand in a relationship with him. But the truth is, it's not only happening in those countries. It's happening here as well. We've heard these testimonies coming to light over the past couple of years within South Africa as well. Specifically under the Muslim community. And this is where I want to stop this morning. Specifically in a town, a city like Cape Town. We have such a lot Muslim population. I will not be surprised if many of you have colleagues, maybe neighbors, um, at school where your children is. In some way or another, if you stay in Cape Town, you are going to have encounters, whether it is through business or just a shop where you go to buy, with a Muslim man or lady. And friends, if the Lord is willing to show himself in visions and dreams to the Muslims in Egypt and in Jordan and in Syria and in Iraq, and we know he is doing it to Muslims in South Africa as well, why not will he do it to the one that you pray for? Pray for them by name and say, Lord, may you reveal yourself to this man, to this woman. But then, if you are in some way in relationship with this man or woman that you are praying for, and Jesus does reveal himself to that person, you must be willing to take up the road of discipleship with that person. Because the same as these testimonies, they are not just going to become a Christian because they saw Jesus in a dream or a vision. A road of discipleship is what is needed. And so I want to encourage you. If the Lord is doing it there, there's no reason why he cannot do it here. Are we willing to live an authentic life in Christ as our Egyptian brothers and sisters? By not necessarily doing major, mega ministry things, but by simply living Christ, by speaking peace, by giving people hope, by for giving people forgiveness, and willing to pray for people and welcome them into the kingdom. Friends, I'm ending off, and before I pray for us, I want to encourage you, I brought a couple of books with um, from our ministry, if you want to look at it, there's specifically a DVD and book package that focus on Muslim evangelization. It is produced by a man who was a Muslim extremist himself, came radically to Christ, and then said, but because of my knowledge of Islam, I need to address Muslims from out the Quran and show them from the Quran, comparing it to the Bible, that Jesus is the truth. And then also, if you would like to receive some of our news, uh, there's a little subscription form in the back that you can fill in. I just need your name and email address. If you want to receive news from a Christian perspective, um, it's totally free. Um, we have it in various forms, perspectives. Um, that's a couple of pages if it's a major news event. 
uh, short summaries at the end of the month of the most important news events of the past month. And also then, if there's a major news event around the world, how to pray for it. So friends, I want to encourage you, look at the world differently. When you look at the news, ask yourself, whatever I'm seeing in front of me now, how is this impacting my brothers and sisters within that country? Whatever country it might be. What influence is it having on the church? What influence might it have on missions? And how can we be more kingdom-minded in our daily lives? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you just for another morning, Lord, of coming together, Lord, specifically in this wonderful weather, Lord. Rain, every drop a blessing from you. Lord, and we thank you that we can stood still for a few minutes, Lord, and just meet a few of our brothers and sisters in Egypt, Lord, and what you are doing within their country, Lord, and through them as believers there, Lord, in building your kingdom. Lord, I pray for each one of us here this morning as we will go back tomorrow to our daily lives, Lord, whether it is work or study, in whatever capacity it might be, Lord. May we be salt and light and ambassadors, worthy ambassadors, Lord, of your kingdom, wherever we go and to whomever we speak. I pray it in your name of Jesus Christ alone. Amen.